Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain a leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today I have the privilege of interviewing Robert Logan about his new book, The Church Planting Journey. Uh, Bob has been a good friend. Uh, He's been almost a fixture in the church planting community for years. He's helped so many people get started. You're going to really get blessed by this if you can overlook the very echoey sound of my voice. I'm still figuring out podcasting and I'm having some engineering problems. So if you can just fly with us, you're going to really enjoy what Bob has to say. I, I might could just have you kind of start a little bit with your own journey. How did you get into writing about church planting? And I know it came from the first church you planted and, and then moved on from there. Tell us about it. Well, I was a church planter sent out to go start a church out uh, east of Los Angeles and really didn't know anything and, and no training. And so I spent a day with a church planter and started doing what he did, which is knocking on doors and so forth, and started gathering people, found people interested that weren't church, that were very interested in Jesus. They may not like the church per se, and uh, started doing that. And, and, and it, was, it was pretty cool until about two months in, I realized I didn't really have the slightest idea what I was doing. And so, uh, so I, uh, I kind of uh, started crying out to God for help and tried to get my hands on all the church planning books, which, as you know, during the seventies, uh, Ralph, they were non-existent for the most part and not helpful. And, uh, in the midst of that, I, I was crying out to God for help and I got a vision, which I didn't even realize that's what I had gotten. Cause I, my background was such that we didn't get those kinds of things. And, uh, and the, the vision was involving people that were supposed to go swim to Catalina an Island, 26 miles off the shore. And, some were sinking and drowning and others were swimming and succeeding. And I just got so upset because we weren't learning uh, from the failures of others nor the successes of others. And I cried out to God in my pain, uh, you know, if, if you get me out of this mess I'm in and ever get me in a position to do something about that, that changing that learning curve, that's what I want to do. And so it's that promise to God really that was the start of the whole thing. That's pretty amazing. I, I, I'd like to just interrupt for a, a minute or two here and, and talk about the vision. I, I ended up in Hawaii because I saw a vision. And uh, I know that a, a lot of us, our theology doesn't allow for that. I'm, I'm not sure mine does today. If somebody tells me that they saw a vision, I'm going to get really skeptical. And yet God does do those things. And I think at particularly at times where he's, he's really trying to move mountains in our lives. We're, we're on a path and we're not really going to get off of it unless we hear something dramatic from God. It's just reassuring to me as I, you know, as I um, look at your life and the things that you've done and, and then compare it to my life. Uh, sometimes I feel like the Lone Ranger and uh, your book in particular, this book uh, has done a lot for me as an older man who's kind of looking back and, and second guessing some of what I've done. Uh, you've given me a lot of reassurance and I, I just want to thank you for that. Uh, tell us a, a, a little bit before you get into the to the to the journey of, of of how you got into helping others. 
Uh, talk about the dearth of material that was there in those days, because uh, oh, that my. was where we were. Well, my seminary education uh, didn't equip me for 70 plus percent of what I was supposed to do. I, I got my hands on two books, Ralph. I was able to find one about how to start a Lutheran church in the Midwest, <laughs> which uh, I was trying to start a Baptist church, and Southern California is a little bit different culturally than the Midwest last time I checked. Sure is. And then another one I found that was really general, it was principle-based, it was good, good stuff, but it didn't tell you how to do it. Yeah. And, and there was just nobody to go to. Um, there were no resources. There were no seminars. Um, uh, you know, I would have loved to have had somebody come alongside of me, not to tell me what to do. You know, I need to hear from God that, that way. But um, to ask questions, to listen, to help me process and to focus what I'm going to be doing, that would have been so helpful. Yeah, and so you—you—that's kind of been your life ever since. Tell, tell us how you kind of rolled into the journey. Yeah, well, that um, started to um, um, move down this direction. God began to help us learn from our mistakes and grow, and and uh, then uh, ended up being asked to um, uh, uh, write some material that would help uh, pastors apply things, and that led to the starting of a, the, my first volume of a church planting is called the church planting workbook. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that was uh, then the, the, the uh, church planting seminars started and that led to some speaking stuff. And then that led to consultation, uh, coaching, uh, coming alongside. And uh, then when the Lord called me on to uh, go to foreign shores uh, in the fulfillment of that vision, uh, left the church I was at, and that's when the Church Planters Toolkit was written. So that was actually my second edition church planting resource. Boy, and I keep keep growing and learning because I keep coaching, working with people. Uh, and so the, the church planting journey is actually my fourth generation church planting book. And uh, I wanted to just try and pull everything together from my experience to, to provide a foundation that would help. And especially the uh, journey guides at the end of each chapter provide a lot of questions to help people in their own, their own formation and development, things that they can process with their coach, things they can work with their own team on, communications with intercessors, you know, checklists and things like that. Just to, just to provide the prompting for people to be able to, under the guidance of the Spirit, find the kinds of approaches that are going to work in their unique situation. You know, we can't, we can't focus on models. You know, we have to focus on principles and how is that lived out in, in the particular context. Uh, the, one of the things that I found really interesting as I was going through your book is the, the, the focus on values. Uh, so many people, I, I actually got into an argument with a pastor who's going, vision is more important than values. It's like, oh my gosh. Uh, and it kind of reflected in the guy's character as well. But uh, talk about that because this is this is a, a broad spectrum approach. And yet it kind of, anybody in, from wherever they are, whatever theological persuasion, whatever culture they're in, I think they're going to find something of, of value to them. Um, it's not a one-size-fit-all. It's not a, a how-to manual. Um, just explain your heart and your approach in that. Well, I like to, to, to imagine values are like the roots of a tree. You know, you really can't see them, but it's the roots that produce the fruit. 
And as Jesus said, you know, you can't uh, uh, get a fruit from a different kind of tree. You know, it's whatever's in the, in the roots is really critical. And so the ministry does really flow out of who you are and, and what do you deeply embrace. And, you know, you can say certain things that here's what we want to be and here's what we want to do and here's our vision. But if that's not consistent and congruent with who we really are in Christ and who we really are and how we live that out, we're going to see uh, uh, not the kind of fruit that we want to see because we will produce fruit consistent with the roots. You know, as, as I think about what you just said, I, I see so many that are resistant to the idea of, of uh, sending somebody out to plant a church. They don't want to uh, lose people. They don't want to lose money. They mostly don't want to lose momentum. Um, but again, the, the fruit is reflecting the roots of the tree. But when it comes to a, a, a church that um, would want to send somebody out, what are they looking for in a potential pastor? Well, the, the Jesus never told us to plant churches. He actually told us to make disciples. Right. And so uh, I would look for somebody that is fruitful in disciple making, somebody that actually engage uh, people out in the harvest, uh, help introduce them to Jesus, help them to become followers of Jesus, who in turn make other followers. Because the byproduct of making disciples who make disciples are, are these disciple-making groups that the New Testament called churches. And so I would really look for somebody that could evangelize, you know, who is out there serving and ministering and building relationships, can out of that help introduce people to Jesus and help them to multiply disciples who make disciples to be able to start and raise up uh, uh, groups, you know, uh, missional communities, life groups, whatever you want to call them, but disciple-making communities, basically. And if, if they have those three things, they can evangelize, disciple, and raise leaders, then God may be calling them to actually plant a church because it doesn't take much more than start a group, multiply it to three groups, gather them together to start worshiping. You have the seeds of a church, don't you? That's exactly what we've done through the years. Uh, I I was I ran into somebody I don't even remember where it was that said that uh, that that approach is just a little too simple uh, for most churches, and and the reason is it's really too difficult to monetize it. It seems like that money drives everything, and uh, when you really strip everything back to making disciples, and and you know we've always kind of had this little thing that we slogan no no followers no leader. Uh, we've not depended on any outside education. We felt like we can raise pastors from within the church, but it's really come down to, are they making disciples and can they uh, appoint leaders in their place, you know, their successor? And, and then can they go on and, and, and launch something uh, again and again? And then, then the matter of calling comes into play. You've got a really vast experience. You've coached so many people. Uh, how, how important is a sense of personal calling or, you know, I've always been a little nervous uh, about recruiting people to become church planters. And yet there are times that we've recruited people simply because there was a need and they responded and it worked well. Uh, speak about the calling issue. I know it's strong in your life, but oh, in yeah. the life you've worked with. It's, as, you, as you know, Ralph, it's really critical that you have a deep down conviction that this is what God is calling you to do. 
because when you get involved in church planting, you know, you're involved in spiritual warfare. It's tough. You get opposition, you get discouraged. And, and there are so many times in my, in, in my planting experience, it seemed like every two weeks I was depressed, you know, it was like <laughs> ready to, ready to quit. And I would re, and I review my calling and, and, and be assured of that, which would help me to, to take the next faithful step. And so I think that that sense of, of call from God is, is very critical uh, and it needs to be confirmed. But even when you went out to recruit people, Ralph, I, I know that you actually asked them to pray about it and to get God's confirmation. So sometimes there are people out there who are, in fact, uh, uh, potential church planters but don't realize it. Yeah. One, one of my friends, uh, Dave Ferguson, has a little deal. He wrote a book called Hero Makers, and, and he talks about an I see in you conversation. And, and sometimes the, the call is kind of sitting there waiting. It, it's, it's evident what the person is producing in their life. And it takes somebody uh, maybe a little older, a little further down the road to come along and say, look at your life. You know, this is what God has done from you for you. And I think then it stirs up a call. You know, that what we would call recruiting is actually kind of stirring up the gifts that lie in another person. Well, it's, 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 it's spotting and discerning yeah. what is already being manifest. And when a person is truly gifted, uh, sometimes they, don't, they aren't even aware of what it is they're doing because they're so moving in the spirit and so just doing what's natural to them, actually what's supernatural, but nevertheless, they're just doing what they do. They don't realize how special that is and how that might actually be God's hand tapping them on the shoulder to say, hey, you want to take the next step here? Yeah, that's really true. I, I think in my own life, uh, what was really missing were people who are a little further along in their faith to do that for me. I, I can recall a time, gosh, I'm thinking about 14 years into ministry where uh, my staff, we had, we had done, I think, a disc test or something, but we got off onto spiritual gifts. And I was always frustrated with the spiritual gifts tests that were out there because I felt like uh, you just kind of write down things that you did and then you catalog it and call it a spiritual gift. And, and one day they, they go, but you have a gift of encouragement. And they start telling me, reflecting back to me things that they had seen in my life. And it was a giant leap forward for me in terms of self-confidence. I've always been a person who struggled a little bit with that. And uh, that was, that was really crucial. Mm -hmm. um, can, can you talk a little bit about spiritual warfare? And, you know, I, I come from a, a persuasion that kind of can make some spiritual voodoo out of spiritual warfare. And I think that, uh, we, we, we need to be very real, but then spiritual warfare is very real, and uh, you've seen a lot of it. Yes. I, uh, I, I was talking one time with a, with a guy that, uh, by no stretch of the imagination, was uh, charismatically oriented and came from a tribe that would not necessarily be that sympathetic with, with this. And, and he was convinced, however, that if you're involved in church planting, you're going to be engaged in spiritual warfare. And, and I was so shocked by his statement, I, I said, can I take you out to lunch? And I said, so, so how is it that you got into spiritual warfare? And he looked at me and I said, well, it's biblical, of course. And I said, <laughs> I know that, but, but how do you get away with that in your tribe? And he says, well, I use Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I will build my church. That's church planting. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's spiritual warfare. Sure. So therefore, we better know that's what we're involved in. 
and and it's a reality. We do face it. Paul says we wrestle not against things flesh and blood. You know, I don't want to go finding demons under every rock and and trying to name stuff, etc. But you know the reality of it. Yeah. When we're advancing the kingdom of God. Uh, it's like the church is 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 bashing down the gates of hell and helping people come out of darkness to light. And so we do get opposition. Um, the thing I found to be helpful is is what uh, our, our, our some of our brothers and sisters talk about uh, praying in the opposite spirit or ministering in the opposite spirit because uh, as as we as we know the easiest way to get rid of the darkness is to turn on the lights right. and so we don't need to pray against the darkness as much as praying for the light that's and true. then to to minister in the opposite spirit. So, for instance, if the issue is greed, which is you mentioned that earlier in our conversation about the money thing, you know that's a major problem we have in our culture. What's the biblical opposite of greed? Generosity. Yeah. And so we don't pray against greed as much as we pray for generosity, and we begin to act generously, and and that's the most powerful kind of spiritual warfare I can imagine. That's wonderful. That is, I've never heard anybody put it in those words. It's, uh, it's sometimes this discussion of spiritual warfare is a discussion of sane versus insane. You know, I can recall times when I'd be struggling with anxiety and, and depression. Early in the first church that I pastored, I had a guy who was just in opposition to everything that any of the rest of us stood for. And, and he was pretty wily. And so I'd be home working on my house, doing things, and, and I'm just singing songs from the Psalms just to, to just hold myself together. But I never uh, have thought, as, as, as old as I am, I've never thought of what you just said. And I'm writing that one down. That, that's going to end up in a blog someplace here real well, soon. Good. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, I learned I've, it from somebody else, my brother. So <laughs> That's really good. You know, talk, talk to us, uh, take a few minutes and kind of talk us through the book. Just really, you know, there's people out there that are listening to this who need to read that book. And I'd like for you to sell them the book. And, and not the 30-second elevator speech either. Uh, take a little time because uh, this, this is really rich stuff. And I, you know, I, I know that the people who are, are listening to this are, are mostly in the, in, they're in the trenches. They're in the struggle. And I think this is a very useful tool for them. That's why we're doing this. And so I'd like for just to kind of you know, give you the mic for a while and just go ahead and, and give us both barrels. All right. Sounds good. The, uh, the church planning process uh, is, is uh, structured in a way that, that is, is kind of like the um, life cycle. I learned this from your associate, uh, uh, Dr. Don Stewart, years ago. So Don Stewart is the one that introduced me to the concept of the life cycle of a church and, and gave me permission to, to use and build on that concept. And uh, he spoke of the uh, conception phase the prenatal development, uh, birth, uh, growth toward maturity, and reproduction. And one of the key insights of, of that life cycle was there's a lot of stuff that has to happen before the birth for a church to thrive. In other words, in the prenatal stage, all the basic systems need to be functional and operational. And if it's not at least in seminal form and in some basic function and form when the baby's born worst case could be premature or even death 
and it's similar for the church. And so the life cycle of a church starts with preparation. Uh, and the preparation stage, you have to take a look at, at who you are, your values, your vision. And, and the vision, by the way, for church planting is to make disciples who make disciples and gather these group, these disciples into groups. Now, depends on your model of ministry, uh, whether that's a network of house churches or whether you actually then bring them together in a celebration service or even multiply that to multi-site or any number of models are possible. You have to have that vision and values firmly in place and in mind. And then you have to get a confirmation of your uh, role and involvement in church. Be sure to join us next time for the continuation of this interview. You're going to really like what Bob has to share. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.